We're really happy to bring this episode. It's, it's really a unique approach. We've really been spending a lot of time talking technical stuff, but we're going to bring in you know, one of the great non-orthopedic leaders in the orthopedic service line, and that's my dear friend, Dr. Zeb Kane. He's an anesthesiologist. He's a full professor at UC Irvine as well as at Yale. He's the founder and president of the American College of Perioperative Medicine, and he just has an amazing course. He brings together people from, from all different avenues, administrators, hospitals, doctors, nurses, lawyers, uh, all come together in a group really trying to develop value in the orthopedic service line. Uh, this is a great episode. I know you're going to love it. We're going to probably call it 36,000 feet because it gives a great view from above as to all the things that we're trying to do right in the orthopedic space. We continue to thank our sponsor, OrthoLaser Orthopedic Laser Centers. They continue to offer MLS M8 technology for chronic and acute orthopedic pain as an alternative source to opioids and possibly even avoiding surgery. The franchises continue to spread across the country. It's an amazing opportunity for orthopedic surgeons and doctors and even medical device reps to become part of the growing technology. OrthoLaser Milwaukee and OrthoLaser Rochester just opened. We have another five in the queue. Come and join the OrthoLaser franchise family. Hashtag follow the fro. From medical media, this is The Ortho Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid sparing orthopedic surgeon here to host another episode of the Ortho Show podcast where we bring you the best of the best in the orthopedic world. I am really excited about today's episode. This is a big thinker. I think, Heather, we're going to have to call this one the 36,000 foot uh, episode because we have a dear friend of mine, Dr. Zeb Kane, who is a healthcare leader, doctor, scientist. He's an, a consummate underachiever. He's a full professor at both the U University of California, Irvine, as well as at Yale University on the East Coast. He's the founder and president of the American College of Perioperative Medicine. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say that I think he is one of the most influential non-orthopedic surgeons in the orthopedic service line world. Hello, my friends. Zev. Pleasure to have you on, brother. Hello, Scott. It's a pleasure to be on. I'm so sorry we have so much snow. Uh, I remember my days in New Haven, and hey, join us on the West Coast. This is why people live in California. Yeah, it's like Tom Brady. Tom Brady put it out there. He's like, I'm never going back to New England again. I'm never going to deal with the snow. We have a foot of snow outside right now. It's ridiculous. Uh, but that's what it is. Sunny California for you. It's all good. It's all good, but we have Texas. So, you know, everybody with their own thing. Yeah, they're all they're all leaving in droves from Cal. You may have to secede or something. I don't know, but uh, oh, it's a pleasure to have you on, my friend. I, you know, I'm really looking forward to this episode. We have, you know, we spend a lot of time sometimes in the technical side of orthopedics, and we talk about operations and some of the things that we're doing in the operating room. But I think the 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 stuff that you're doing is really really remarkable, and it really changes the way in which we practice medicine and. Uh, so I think I want to start, you know, talking about what is my favorite course of the year, which is your course, of course, which is the Interdisciplinary Conference on Orthopedic Value-Based Care. Also, as everybody knows, is the OVBC. Uh, it's usually, unfortunately, in California, but nowadays we're doing all this type of stuff virtual. But 
The reason it's one of my favorite courses is most of the time when you think of courses, you think of a didactic course. You're going to learn, you're getting CME credits, you're trying to advance your, your technical career. But for you and the course that you've put together, it's an incredible networking experience of doctors and, and C-suites and administrators and insurance people. And it's just a lot of big brains coming together. So how did, how did you come up with this idea? Because I really, I really adore this conference. Oh, thank you so much, Scott. And and may I say that when you are there, you're an amazing speaker. So but I'm sure the audience knows that already. Uh, so when I was the chief medical officer and the dean of clinical operations at UC Irvine Health, one of the things I noticed most is that people just don't talk to each other. Everybody does their own thing and everybody's relying on themselves. Um, and when you are uh, in the operating rooms, people say, well, we want teamwork. That, that's great. And when you look at where people go to conferences, guess what? They go to the AOS to orthopedics people get there. They go to the ACHE, that's the executives. Um, they go to NEON, that's the nurses. Uh, so everybody gets their training somewhere else. But we want them to work together, right? Um, and by the way, when you are in a training of that kind, like in the AOS, um, it's not infrequent that people throw other people under the bus. Oh, you know, these administrators, they don't let me practice the way I want to practice. <laughs> it's true, but we're not going to talk about it right now. So the idea was, can we just bring everybody together in one conference, break the silos, bring everybody together. Now, the next question was, well, that's very nice, but people are interested in different things. And so that's why we said, well, we have plenary sessions in the morning and tracks in the afternoon. And then people can get what they want out of it, but you would be shocked to see how many administrators come to the clinic lectures in the afternoon because they actually want to know from Scott Seigman how to do a hip. They never saw, and they will not go to the AOS. So that's the secret sauce for all of it. Uh, and it's all under the umbrella of value to the orthopedic world. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and it's and you're creating value, efficiencies, and and when you bring people together from from different areas, right? That I love breaking the silos. It's been one of our our favorite sayings in the opioid sparing world, right? That was one of the main reasons we couldn't because the pharmacy budget was siloed, and the pharmacist wouldn't allow us because it was too expensive. But yet, you know, there's there's ten people ODing in the emergency room at the very moment that they're not allowing us to use it. So. Yeah, I mean, and and then the networking too. I mean, the ability to sit down and and walk and talk with with these people. And you guys really, you really, everybody leaves, and and there's change that's made. That's what, really what I love. I mean, if you come to this, some people are experts; they've been doing it for a long time, and they're there to to share. But there's so many others that come and are there to learn and soak up and, as a sponge. And and I know that it goes all year. It's not just the course. I mean. You, you, this perpetuates and goes full-time as well. Right, right. And, you know, you and I have become friends through LinkedIn and then through the course, and then guess what? Now we talk about a hundred things that are non-related to the course anymore, and, and that's just the way the course is. That's the, that's the structure. Yeah, no, so it's going to be, all right, so that, so obviously Newport Beach, California, I'm very sad. I'm not coming there again in February. It's one. It's such a beautiful spot. But uh, 
we're set in this pandemic. By the way, I received my first dose of vaccine today. I'm very excited about that. And uh, the vaccine is completely fro approved, people. Get it. Let's get on with our lives. Let's get moving here if we can. Your thoughts on the vaccine just while, while we're here, doctor? I got it at 11 a.m. this morning. I posted it on LinkedIn already. Please like it. You're going to see my half-naked body with a needle in, and you got to do it. I, I was flexing the guns, too. I got a little gunshot going on, too. So it's uh, that's all good. Yeah, so, you know, so the point the point is, though, is that we're still stuck, and, and maybe summertime or whatever, we'll, we'll start being able to – to socialize again in the way in which we do. I mean, I dearly miss that that interaction uh, with my colleagues and being able to learn, you know, face to face. I think it really brings incredible value. But obviously, you're going to have to go virtual this year. We we all know about the the uh, the OSET meeting in Vegas. I'm not sure if you've heard or not, but the virtual platform for the uh, for the booths and for the sponsors uh, and, and the vendors crashed and it was just catastrophic. I mean, literally there was no ability to communicate with the vendors. So I'm not sure. And we had a booth and, you know, we're, as the chief medical officer of OrthoLaser, we love that conference and we're there every year and we wanted our booth and, and it wasn't going on. So please give me some good news on how you're going to run this virtual meeting so that I can be a part of it. So we are engaged with a platform called VFair, which is a platform from the expo world rather than from the education world. And so, um, and they have been in the business for years now, working with big vendors like the universities. And they just pivoted now to include healthcare as well. Um, And so I think that's what I I screened 24, 24 vendors, Scott, until I got to them through word of mouth. And I like them because then I know it's a stable platform. It has been tried on huge numbers. And it's on the expo side, it's very good. Honestly, on the education side, it's not a rocket science, right? What's the big deal on the education side? It's a recording. It's not Zoom, but it's a recording. The expo side is where things can break up. And that's why I chose expo, the expo company to bring in. So I promise you it won't crash. (laughs) All right. I'm calling my CEO when I'm done here because I'm going to tell him, you know, we got to be a vendor on this thing. We had a disaster for Kevin Planter's course. I love you, Kevin. Sorry, don't mean to be be negative, but uh, we'll call. I'll have Mark uh, Molokoff, my CEO, give a call and uh, see if we can't be out there too. I think we'd love to be able to partner with some of your hospitals and, and administrators as well. So Super happy to hear that. And you've got everybody lined up and we're we're looking good. You're ready to roll. I'm ready to roll. I have HSF, NYU, Rothman, Columbia, UCSF, Geisinger, Ortho Carolina, you name it, we have it. And on top of that, we have speakers from Australia and from Europe. You know, one of the big advantages of a virtual platform is that it's just easier also to get people right. Sure. Yeah, people love to come for the weekend for uh, Newport Beach, but it is a it is a requirement as well, right? Now, this is a different story. I, I can get people from South Africa this way very easily. So it's a plus and it's a minus. All right, fantastic. So now we're going to hit you up, okay? I, I, I plugged you here as one of the most influential people for the orthopedic service line. So I, I want to hear from you about you know where, what you see, what's, what's the outlook that you have for the orthopedic service line that you would outline for 2021 in particular that you think is going to be major change? Well, the move to outpatient surgery and ASCs is rocking and rolling, period. 
Uh, COVID has just accelerated it. SG2 just came out with their report. Uh, you should see the numbers. They're about 26% increase. So that's where everything is going, right? So that's not already uh, very new. It's an acceleration. There's going to be more approval of services. I've heard from CMS. So more and more services will be approved there. Uh, and hospitals will start to learn to live with ASCs um, and not to try and cannibalize on them. That said, we also have to understand there is going to be a change in the political regime. And we don't know yet what it means. And anybody who tells you that they know, just look at them. Uh, I remember when we started our conferences five years ago, there was a, a, a dramatic change in the tone of the conference the minute President Trump has taken over. And it's this is nothing to do about politics. This is about the particular approach to the healthcare system. I think Biden will be much more like Obama than President Trump as compared to value-based care and as compared to CJR and as compared to all these bundles. And so I think that you're going to see an acceleration now in these kind of models in the orthopedic world. That's just my prediction. Will it be in 2021 or 2022? I don't know, but I promise you it's coming. So put it into simple language, because I always like to say, you know, my mother's always listening right now. Okay. She's got Medicare. She's got some hip pain. You know, she's thinking about getting a hip replacement. How do you think it's going to affect, you know, the individual patient and, and just, you know, talk about the CGR in, in a little bit more simple language that people can understand. Yeah. So um, the CGR was essentially a, a bundle payment program that was government supported. And I just want to remind your listeners that the biggest healthcare uh, insurance in the country is not United and it's not Blue Cross. It is Medicare. And the government is the one who really controls that market, although United likes to think that they control it. So the bottom line is that when you talk about a bundle payment, that means now that the providers have to come together and provide a service at a fixed cost. Now, obviously, it impacts the patient to some degree, but it impacts mostly the provider side of things. And how do they change their practices and where I'm coming from, which is a bit different than, than a lot of people, is to me, value-based care or bundle payment is not a financial model. It is a combination of a clinical, operational, and financial model, right? And so you really have to change the way you provide care to make sure that you achieve maximal um, value with minimal cost. Yeah, and that's what you guys do well, and that seemed to be really the wave that we're seeing across the country, uh, not necessarily just through through Medicare, but you know we have Michael Suck at Geisinger, uh, you know we've got Whale Barsom at Hopco, so there's a lot of really movement towards trying to coordinate that care, high quality value care, trying to you know minimize the cost but still really produce great outcomes, and I think you know your course in particular with the people that you bring together really focuses on that uh, better than any place uh, for sure. So, you know, one of the, um, so, you know, it's interesting, the outpatient inpatient thing, we're really, we're really seeing that too. I'm in the process right now of uh, building a surgery center with our hospital or converting. Um, uh, Medicare is allowing as of January 1st for total hips now to be done uh, as outpatients. 
And, you know, just the thought and the process. I mean, I remember I've been doing this for 25 years, right? And at the New England Baptist, when I was a young kid, we would hang out and patients would stay like four or five days. And then everybody went to the rehab for like another week, you know, and, and conceptually now, with all the things that we have that can really minimize patient's pain with ERAS protocols and multimodal protocols, but then also the safety, the diet before and the diet after and the coordination of all the processes really allows for outpatient surgery, I think, to really be done well. And I think some of the forecasts, you mentioned it, you know, I'm here in the next couple of years, maybe as much as 70 or 80% of these joints are going to be done as an outpatient. So, you know, it's uh, it's really, really quite remarkable, which really sort of segues into one of the things that, you know, I love for you to talk about with our listeners, because you, you, you talk about it so eloquently, you know, which is the perioperative home and the team approach and how you bring all of this together. Because, right, opioid sparing surgery has to be part of this successful high quality outcomes. We can't have people get addicted to opioids and have a you know, and have a hip that moves, right? It all comes together. So just describe that for me because I love listening to you and your approach on this. And you are really one of the earliest leaders in the concept of bringing the team together yeah. to be able to come up with these functional goals. Yeah, thanks Scott. And actually that's how I really started my career in this space, right? At 2014, I started to think about the bariatric surgical home um, and, and that's when I realized that there was a lot of disconnect. That's even before I was the, the Dean of Clinical Operations. And, uh, I, I said, well, you know, there are about 60 people who touch a patient who is having hip surgery. And I am not sure that your receptionists have ever spoken to the nurse on the floor, your particular receptionist, right? So how do they know what information to give to the patient? What, why can't we bring everybody together? Uh, why can't we have protocols that everybody works along this, along each other? And so that's how I started to organize the perioperative surgical home, which is really enhanced recovery on steroids, right? Enhanced recovery really just deals with a bunch of clinical guidelines. Don't give a lot of opioids. Um, don't fast them too long. Move them out of the bed. The surgical home really has, uh, again, operational, clinical, financial, and patient-centered carry design, I'm going to call it. So in that, the, the surgical home says, well, we don't want a hemoglobin A1C, which is a measure for diabetes, obviously, very high when, when your patient um, goes to surgery. And so we have to determine what's the cutoff. And by the way, we have to organize the journey of your patient in a way that will deal with it. So we just don't tell you, the surgeon, hey, we don't want to see your patients with a certain hemoglobin A1C. We take the responsibility to work with you to how to fix your patient and optimize your patient before they come in. That's the whole idea behind it. Um, and, and, and to some degree, it connects to the shift from volume to value, right? Because in the old days, uh, not you, of course, but some orthopedic surgeons, really all they want to do is to just do the surgery and their part is done. Well, that's great, but now you have a patient who is renal failure or anemic who's going to now stay in the hospital four or five days. So shouldn't we actually first optimize the patient and then do the surgery? Uh, so as we move to give more value, that's when I think we're going to do a better job. And the reason I got as an anesthesiologist to the space of orthopedic surgery is because, honestly, the orthopedic surgeons are the easiest to work with among all the surgeons. <laughs> can you say that again please 
orthopedic surgeons are the easiest to work with. Try and work with a cardiac surgeon. Yeah. That's all I want to tell you, okay? Uh, I mean, they listen. They are thoughtful. They listen. Um, and they're willing to share responsibility. Cardiac surgeons are not that much. They really just want a much more control. And so, and by the way, musculoskeletal space is the highest dollar space in the surgical space. And I'm sure you know that. Sure. If you want to make a chain, start where it counts. Yeah. No, and, uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've loved uh, your presentations and you bring everybody into the room and you and you go to the whiteboard and you, and you really organize this entire process. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, we just went, we went to a co-management agreement and a bundle program with the hospital as well. And we were doing a lot of things to try and, and save the process. And what was amazing was that transparency, you know, is the one that really just lets everybody, I'm really good at what I do. I don't take that long and I don't know what you're talking about, but then you pop it up on the board and everybody sees their numbers and all of a sudden, you know, everyone's like, oh, well, maybe I could do that a little bit better. So bringing people into the room and having a conversation goes a long way. It, It is, Scott, but I'm going to say that transparency goes both ways and it goes to the hospital as well. And one of the biggest, and I've implemented surgical homes and enhanced recoveries in 25 hospitals. And I can tell that one of the biggest hurdles is administration reluctance to be transparent with financial data. So they want, they want the physicians to really be transparent as far as complications and, reg- and regimens and outcomes. But when it comes to cost of doing business, there is a veil that comes down. And, and my opinion is, or my feelings are, that you can't really get to a real partnership unless everybody has all the data and there's no data asymmetry. And that's how you become partners. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I'm so old right now, but I'm going to say, like, I was watching 60 Minutes with my wife this past weekend, and they had the episode on the Sutter Hospitals up in Northern California and and talk about lack of transparency and, and a monopoly, and, and they were charging four times the, the cost of delivering a baby in San Francisco compared to Los Angeles. I mean, it was just crazy, and it's amazing that that has really been allowed. But, right, there's no other thing. Like, I'm not going to go in and buy a car and basically say, you know, they just tell you, this is what the price is, and you, you don't know what it is. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. But in healthcare, it's always been that way. Hospitals don't have to show and declare, and, you know, and they're, they're, the competition doesn't really exist. You just go there because that's where my doctor is. So yeah. kind of wacky. Very out of whack. Last year in the conference, the opening uh, session was by Alex Vaccaro, who's, of course, the president at Rothman and the surgeon-in-chief, and he talked about transparency. It's crazy. You know, it's just crazy. It's, it's, um, there is monopoly, there is transparency. There's a lot of things we can do uh, to fix it. Now, I'm not saying that Thales shouldn't make a buck, but at the same time, let's just make sure it counts, it's reasonable, and it brings value. Yeah, and let's start doing, you know, hospitals are for like sick people, right? Let's do the, let's put the sick people in the hospital. Let's put the healthy people someplace else, and, and they can work together. I mean, our deal with our local uh, surgery center, we're doing it with the hospital, actually. So they're going to have a piece of the pie, which which also is kind of nice because it allows for the community to all work together. And, and, we're, and we're not stuck out there on an island making it look like we're just trying to make a buck. But we're doing it as a, as a community to improve the quality of care for, our, for our, our local patients. So that definitely works out. So, you know, there's a few more things I want to hit up. And and I, I get a sense that, you know, we had Whale Barsom on and, and Whale really made a good point about, you know, Medicare for all versus, you know, universal health care. 
I think clearly, you know, obviously Georgia is going to be a big deal uh, as to decide which way uh, control will be within the Congress and whether or not there, there will be the, the ability to, to block all of the left liberal ideas. Not that they're bad, but just saying that I think balance is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, which way which things which way things will move. But, you know, where do you see where do you see commercial insurance plans, self-insured? I mean, there's so much more self-insured happening at this point. Small businesses grouping together, uh, large businesses saying, screw this. We're just going to pay for our own health care and we'll, we'll go and find one of these, you know, Zev Kane groups that's been putting it together. Tell me about what your thoughts are there. Well, I think that the entire area is ripe for disruption. That's, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, there is a lot of deregulation that needs to happen. Um, I, I wish I could say that it will happen next, but I don't know. But, but you know, I want to share with the listeners a, a private story to show how much these things care or mind or are important. My daughter, my younger daughter is 26, and she was just leaving my insurance. And I said, how am I going to get health insurance for her, right? She's not working. She's right now studying for her MCAT to go to medical school. And uh, and then somebody told me, well, what about the ACA? And I'm like, oh, okay. So I went on the ACA website. It sent me to the California covered website. I was with her. She answered four questions and about who she is. She needed to send her ID and so on. And after four questions, it's like she could choose any healthcare program she wanted. She chose, I think, Blue Cross. And it's done. The entire process took like 12 minutes. And by the way, it wasn't that expensive. And that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. So we have to understand that you need to provide some options to people. And so um, in California, by the way, Blue Cross did not want to get into the marketplace. But the state of California told them, if you want to sell insurance altogether, you have to get into the marketplace. So it did, it worked. So I'm going to flip it around and say, totally unrelated, but is related. Why is it that Medicare is not negotiating at all with pharma? Why? Why is it that pharma just gives a bill to Medicare and Medicare says, okay, if you go to Israel, for example, no pharma company can get into Israel unless they agree with the Minister of Health What's the max amount of money that they can that they can charge? That doesn't exist for us, right? So we don't talk typically about pharma and, devi- and medical device companies, and I love them, and that's irrelevant. But they are one trillion dollars out of three and a half trillion of the budget, and there is no reason that they should get paid so much by entities like Medicare without really capping their upper limit. Yeah, there's, there's really no negotiation of any kind, to be perfectly honest with you. I can't go back to Medicare and say, you know, people don't recognize this, but I mean, I get paid for a total knee replacement. It's about a thousand bucks. And that's like, oh, you know, look, it's for my time. It's great. I spend an hour in the operating room, but I'm managing that patient for 90 days afterwards. I have all the responsibility to make sure that we take her through healthy and, and have uh, successful outcomes. But I can't go back to Medicare and say, hey, you know, that's not enough. You know, what's the plan? And so- 
you know, look, I, I don't, I, I got to find somebody on Biden's team. You need a job. We need to get you, you take a job in Washington, wouldn't you? Can't hit, what, what are those secretary jobs or something? Or, come on, Zeb, you could do something. You got great ideas. Yeah, I don't think so, Scott. I love working with you. I like innovation. I like to change systems. Washington is just a lot of talk. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, there, there is a lot. There is a lot of truth in that. Well, look, Zeb, this is beautiful. This is exactly the type of stories that we like to tell here on the Ortho Show. And uh, you know, I greatly appreciate you in particular. All of the work that you're doing, you you influence so many patients at so far beyond your individual scope of practice. Uh, I, I love your conference. Please give everybody a little. I'm going to give you a plug. I never do this. But I give a plug right now because I want everybody to register for this course that can and is uh, that is part of the process. How do they do that? Uh, well, they just go to a website. Uh, it's easy. It's acpm.health. ACPM stands for the American College of Therapy Medicine. So acpm.health. And then they'll get to conferences and you go to the future conference and, and you just uh, type in there. The other thing is you can just type in OVPC 2020 or OVPC 2021 in Google and, and they'll get there. We made it very reasonable this year. The, the cost is minimal. Um, we also give scholarships to all the nurses. They get, they paid like a third of what physicians pay or less, actually less than a third. Medical students are free. Residents are free. Uh, we are really trying to spread. Remember, we are non-for-profit so we, I, I'm not doing it to, to make money. I, I'm a fully gained, employed. I'm doing it because I believe in it and it's a platform. So please come. This is by far the most FRO-approved conference of the year. So get, get on that website. Heather will post it uh, when we do. So you'll be able to see that, guys. You'll be able to find the link very easily. Uh, both Zeb and I are all over LinkedIn, and we'll definitely be sharing the course as well. I personally don't have any financial interest in the course either. I just love it and uh, and love to be able to be a part of it as well. But, uh, you know, this is great. We thank you so much again, Zev. Here at the Ortho Show, as we always say, we bring you the best of the best in the orthopedic world. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Till next time.